If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the passage Aubrey just read for us, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. It's this spellbinding story uh, about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it's unique to Luke's gospel. No other gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, John, no other gospel writer records it. It's one of those stories that really holds your attention, like one of those great British crime dramas, Broad Church or something. You just can't bring yourself to step away from it, to turn it off until what's been hidden is finally revealed. And what's so fascinating about this story is that the two disciples are in fact meeting with Jesus, but they don't know it. He's been walking and talking with them for hours, for miles, and they're completely unaware of it. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, really, odds are you'll find that pattern to be pretty familiar. There are times when, like those two disciples, we don't realized how Jesus has been with us until we get space from the event and look back on it. And only then does it become absolutely obvious that he was with us every step of the way. But meeting Jesus isn't always a guessing game, though. There are times, there are moments when we can be confident that he is near, that he is really present. And this morning, we're going to look at, those, at three of those right out of our passage. And the first one is the least obvious. This first one is, is the hardest for us to discern at the time. It's when we're experiencing grief and confusion. At the beginning of this passage, the two disciples are having this really depressing dialogue about Jesus' death. Luke tells us in verse 14 that they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. There's a hint that this is more than a mere retelling, a regurgitating of events. It's more like an Eeyore moment, a brooding, a moping, an incessant digging in and talking about your own sadness. Just look for a moment at all the talking verbs. Verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things. Verse 15, they were talking and discussing together. Do you think that maybe they were talking about this? Verse 17, Jesus asks, and I'll, I'll quote this literally here, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another while you walk? And then it says, and they stood still, looking sad. Clearly, this isn't the kind of conversation that heals. It's the kind of conversation that keeps the, the pain fresh. The kind of talk that presses the wounds and pushes on the bruises. Have you ever had conversations like that? Have you ever had an entire friendship built on conversations like that? They can be really destructive. 
And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have friendships where we can feel comfortable sharing our sorrows or admitting that life from time to time really stinks. But when the conversation just stays there and the entire relationship is founded on complaining and moping and grieving, when time after time your get-togethers leave you more and more curved in on yourself, more and more hopeless, more and more angry, more and more bitter, that's when you know the relationship is very unhealthy. But a good friend is a good counselor. A good friend is somebody who is able not only to join you in your grief, but to not leave you there. A good friend is somebody who listens to your sob story, gives you the space you need to be sad or hurt or angry, but then lifts you up out of it and shows you the bigger picture. You see, the problem with the kind of conversation that these two disciples are having is that they totally miss Jesus. You see that starting in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Why? It's because their eyes were blinded by unbelief. Blinded by the unbelief that the sadness they were experiencing could have any part in God's great and good redemptive plan for creation. Without any reference to Jesus' words about his own resurrection that he had given them time after time in his ministry, these disciples are totally trapped in the iron cage of their own grief and confusion. They didn't have a category for new life, for new creation. All they could do was talk and talk and talk about how miserable they were. And this is the key for us. Despair comes when we believe our way is best and we come blind to the other big things that God could be doing. And God is always up to something. Jesus does draw near to these disciples. He walks with us on the road unrecognized. He joins us in our sadness and despair. He's just been in the tomb for three days. He knows what it feels like to feel stuck. He listens to our story of confusion and disorientation and grief and loss of direction and human failure and inner darkness. And he's with us in our lostness. And finally, he speaks. Jesus speaks from the tomb. He reveals from firsthand knowledge that God's love is stronger than our despair. That God's faithfulness reaches beyond the experience of his absence. And that God leads those he loves through the darkness of the tomb and out the back door 
in the light of the resurrection. But we have to look for him. We have to notice him in our pain. And this is really hard to do because our pain, our suffering, blinds us. And this is why it's so important to have fellow disciples, fellow friends, fellow mentors who will help us to do that. Who will lift up our eyes from being curved in on ourselves and allow us to see the bigger picture of what God might be doing. Jesus is near to us in our grief and confusion. He's walking beside us. He's sharing our load and directing us on the painful path sometimes toward new creation. So that's the first place we can expect to meet Jesus. It's in our suffering. But we can also expect to meet him when we read and listen to Holy Scripture. When the two disciples finally listen to Jesus, he becomes their teacher. He asks them in verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. As it turns out, these disciples had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. They had been seeing it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But instead, it was about how God would redeem Israel through suffering. They had it all wrong. And because of that, they lacked the resources they needed to navigate their own suffering. They couldn't find themselves in this grand sweeping narrative, this story that the Bible provides. In teaching the disciples about the suffering of Abraham and Moses and the prophets, Jesus gradually shows them that what depresses them the most, the suffering of the friend they thought to be the Messiah, has actually become the source of new life. This unlocking of the scriptures and, and the heart of God that loved them enough to take human form and die for them, this changes their entire perspective. So that in verse 32, they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Something happened deep inside them. It wasn't a rote intellectual exercise. Something changed in them when they listened to the scriptures with an open ear. And what happened is that Jesus came into them. Jesus came into their heart through their ear. That's why it's so important for us to listen intently whenever the scriptures are read. We devote so much time to scripture reading in our worship services. And I know sometimes it seems like a lot. It's hard sometimes to listen to a psalm and an Old Testament and a New Testament in a gospel reading. It's, it's a kind of listening, really, that our culture has become unaccustomed to. And so it feels very unnatural for us. We get fidgety. But the point of listening to all this scripture, look, it's, it's not 
so that we understand every little thing that is said, then we'd really be in trouble, wouldn't we? At the most basic level, it's an act of worship and respect. Christ is present in the words of Scripture. So much so that whenever Scripture is read, Christ is speaking. Whenever Andrew White, who was our other reader? Don't be shy. Oh, Jen. Or Jen, stand up here and read the Scriptures to us. Jesus himself is really present and speaking to us. And that's an amazing thing. And so when we believe that, like we really listen. Even if we don't understand half of what we're hearing, we listen intently. So look, this isn't the time to rummage through our bags for a breath mint, as dire as the situation might be. It's not the time to go get a drink of water. And look, it's not the time for me to be looking at my sermon notes because I'm nervous before I get up here. It's hard not to peek. It's hard not to fidget. But we have this job to do whenever Scripture is read, and that is to listen. Like our very life and health depends on it because Christ is here, and he's speaking to you. Through the story of Genesis 18, who would have thought that you would have needed that story this morning. But Jesus knows. Are there any accidents? Has he not promised to speak to us when we're gathered together and when his word is read and preached? We can't question the scripture passages. They're all coming from him. And look, this is so good, parents, to teach to our children. Kids and youth, when scripture is read, Jesus is speaking. And when Jesus is speaking, you are silent. Whatever you have to say can wait. The king is in the room. That's why we stand up. I love the attentiveness that I feel in the room when the gospel is read from the center. Everyone still and turns. This is a beautiful thing that we can do with our bodies to reverence the word and to help ourselves listen. We must listen. And why is that? It's because when Jesus opens the scriptures to us, our hearts are set on fire. Those things in our lives that make us give up hope and return to the old way of life, those things are converted. The things that prevent us from recognizing the Messiah on our own roads of suffering, those things are transformed. When we listen to Jesus in the scripture, we are made ready to receive the new thing God is doing in the world. Rather than expecting a life without disappointments or moments of depression, we come to see that Jesus comes to meet us right in the middle of those moments. And when he comes, he comes with hope and with the potential for brimming life. So you see, when we are attending to Scripture, it's not so much a matter of reading a book or listening to a book be read as it is about seeking someone. It's not just about learning things that are true. It's about the astonishing fact 
that Christ nourishes us with himself through his word. One Christian in the 12th century, Godfrey of Admont, said that sacred scripture is the breast of Jesus. That's a beautiful image, especially coming off of Holy Week. When we turn our attention to scripture, we're like John, the beloved disciple, sitting beside Jesus at the Last Supper, laying our weary head on the breast of Christ. And we still have that chance, that amazing opportunity. Every time we read the words from this book, whether that's in our worship service or in our small groups or around the dinner table or even by ourselves, it's not just a book. It's the gateway to a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ who loves you and guides you constantly into new creation. So we've seen how Jesus meets us in our pain. And we've seen how Jesus meets us in Scripture. But the final thing I'd like for us to see is how Jesus meets us in the bread and the wine of the Eucharist. So after hearing Jesus' Bible study, the disciples invite him to stay with them. But after the table is set, Jesus takes over. He's no longer the guest, but he becomes the host. It's as if he gets up and he starts carving the family Thanksgiving turkey. He's very comfortable in this situation. So look at those familiar words in verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Sound familiar? In Luke's gospel, there are lots of meals mentioned. I believe Martin pointed that out at one point. Feasting is a great theme of Luke's gospel. This is the eighth meal listed. And it's happening on the eighth day. The first day of the new week, Sunday. Now, how does the Bible speak of the eighth day? Well, the eighth day is the new beginning. It takes us back to Genesis. It's the sign of the new creation. And Luke is very clear about this. This is the first meal in the new creation. This is the toast that kicks it off. And the bread itself becomes like Jesus' newly resurrected body. Still bread, ordinary, nothing terribly special about it, but also something new. Something that gives us a taste of the life that's to come. Something that gives to our tired bodies and souls the very life of our Lord. The one who takes and blesses and breaks and gives is the one who from the beginning of time has so desired to enter into communion with us. And when we receive it, we become his home. And he's no longer the guest in our lives that we entertain from time to time. 
He's the host. He's the leader. Christ in us, leading us. But now here's the perplexing thing I want to leave us with. Luke says that when the disciples saw Jesus break the bread, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And look, who knows how that happened? We can, we can dream, can't we? I find myself wondering if, if they saw his nail-pierced hands as he held up the bread and broke it. That was the giveaway. Or maybe it was something else. Either way, it's very mysterious. But here's something even more mysterious. Immediately, poof, he vanishes from their sight. Right when they finally see him, finally realize he's been with them all along, he's no longer there with them. Precisely when he becomes most spiritually present to them, he also becomes physically absent. And here we're touching on one of the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith. The deepest communion with Jesus is a communion that happens in his absence. Surely this must have been what Jesus was talking about in John's gospel when he says, trying to convince his disciples, no, it's good that I go. It's better that I leave you. You're going to be fine. You're going to be better. But we can't understand that because when, when we're reading this story, it almost seems playful at best and cruel at worst. These disciples are grieving, and they miss Jesus, and then right when Jesus reveals himself to them, poof, he's gone. But it's all because they no longer need his physical presence to know that he remains with them. They can now remember him who dwells within them. So how is Jesus known to us? How does he reveal himself? The answer is, when the scriptures are taught and the new creation meal is celebrated. This is the center stage. This is the center of Christian living, of walking through life with Christ. If you only have the scriptures every Sunday, then this service becomes a form of an intellectual exercise and we become an army of note takers. At the same time, if you only have the Eucharist without the scriptures read and preached, then this thing that we do at the table with the bread and the wine becomes sort of like a magic ritual. This is why we need both scripture and Eucharist every week. We really can't have one without the other. When the scriptures are taught and the bread is broken, you can know Jesus. So come with your eyes and your ears open. Bring your problems to Jesus, like the two disciples, your questions, your agonies, your griefs and confusions, because he's always with you. He'll never die. He'll never leave you. He's the Messiah. He's your risen Savior, and he's walking with you and leading you and guiding you on the road to new creation. Follow him. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.